Ephesians chapter 3, verses starting at verse 14 through to 4 and verse 16. A prayer for the Ephesians. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is his work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen.
Thank you very much, Hugh. If you'd like to keep that passage open, we can be focusing on that, that prayer of Paul to the Ephesians uh, this evening. Prayer to God for the Ephesians. I think if I were to tell you that as Christians we should all be power-hungry, power-grabbers, you might think that uh, with all the, the busyness of Easter and with the me being laid up on my back, I might have gone a bit, uh, bit loopy, might have lost the plot a bit. But let me read this prayer from Paul. This is exactly what he's praying, that they would be filled with power. Now, of course, it's not the sort of power that we um, commonly associate when we hear that word, the power that uh, enables people to get their own way, the power that revels in being able to, to order others about, power that causes politicians to send defamatory emails. Now the power we're looking at this evening is a very different power. It's the same power that is referred to in chapter 1 of verse 20 of, uh, of this same letter to the Ephesians where it says that power, the end of verse 19, is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. If you go over the page to verse 6 of chapter 2, it's the same power by which it says that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And as we go into chapter 3, verse 7, it's that same power that enabled Paul to become a servant of the gospel and through which the Gentiles and Israel became members together of one body and sharers together in the promises of Jesus Christ. And so as we come to verse 14 of chapter 3, Paul starts with the words, for this reason, for this reason. In other words, given all that I've said about God's power, God's grace, I kneel before the Father. I kneel before him, I come to him in humility and reverence and I pray for you, dear Ephesians. I pray for you that you would have that same power. But why, as believers, why do we need that, that same power? And what type of power is it exactly? Well, there's two things in these few verses from 14 to 21 that we're going to be looking at this evening that, that Paul is praying for here in terms of power. The first of those is he's praying for power in our inner being. Look at verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Well, what does that mean then? To be strengthened with power in your inner being. Is it a bit like the, the beer advert, that's still on these days, that claims to reach the parts other beers cannot reach? Is that the inner being? Well, the inner being is really what makes us who we are. It's the centre of our personalities. It's our minds, our thoughts, our emotions, 
our wills, our consciences. As we've seen through the resurrection, Jesus is Lord over all the earth. He, he reigns on high. But if he is our Lord, if we have submitted to his reign in our lives, then it's over all these aspects of our personality, this inner being, that he reigns. And it may help to, to understand this idea of the inner being. If we just turn briefly to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you go back a few pages to uh, page 1160 in the Church Bibles, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Here it says, verse 16, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The distinction that Paul makes here is between an outward body that is, is wasting away and an inward body that is being renewed day by day. We are all getting older. And uh, my back troubles this week have reminded me of that fact. So the younger ones here this evening might uh, be an idea that um, might seem a long way off to you that the body eventually breaks down, that it gives way, but so you two will get to a stage in your lives when things don't quite work as they used to. And the great thing is that whilst outwardly we may start to suffer from poor eyesight, we may start to suffer from arthritis, maybe from bronchial problems, all sorts of health if issues, inwardly we can still flourish. And I'm sure we all know of older Christians who, who exude the glory of God despite their physical weakness. Because instead of wallowing in, in self-pity, instead of looking at the, the state of the world and um, becoming grumpy old men and women, sort of harking back to the good old days, they are looking forward to, to heaven. They feel that actually they are getting close to heaven. They are already thinking of the, the resurrection body that they will receive one day, just as last week we looked at the resurrection body that Jesus Christ received when he was raised from the dead. The trouble is, of course, and this is why Paul is so keen to pray for these believers here, that they will be strengthened with power in their inner beings. There is such a temptation, and particularly in the society and in the time in which we live, where there is such a focus on the, the outward body, to, be, to, to fall into that temptation as well. Just read any newspaper, any magazine, it's full of, of glamorous celebrities um, who have spent a fortune on their looks, retaining their youth. That's not to say we shouldn't be concerned about outward appearances, but the main focus should be on the inner being. And again, it's not to say that we shouldn't pray for physical healing. But there's no point praying just for physical healing if we're not at the same time praying for the inner person, for the inner being. What is the purpose of praying for power in the inner being? Well, Paul gives us a reason here, as he carries on in that verse 16, back in Ephesians 3. 
He starts off by praying out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And you may think, well, well, surely Jesus is doing that already. If, if these are believers that Paul is writing to in Ephesus who have accepted Jesus as their saviour, surely he will already be dwelling in their hearts by the Spirit. You know, we know that. We know that from, from Romans, for example, where it says, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. But there's an implication here, and the word that Paul uses, dwell, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, is that although Christ has moved into your lives, although he's moved into your hearts, he's dwelling within you by his spirit, he hasn't really been allowed to take up full residence, full permanent residence. The place hasn't really been made fit for him to, to live in. And sometimes we know from our experience it takes a while for a, a house to become your home. You may buy a new place, you pick up the keys, you move in. But weeks go by, months go by, and the boxes still remain unopened, and the house is still in the same state in which the previous owner left it. I remember when we first moved into our home in St Albans, we, uh, I think the first thing that we wanted to get rid of was this... Uh, delightful looking front door, one of those sort of those 50s or 60s sort of sunbeam things that radiated out with sort of glass. Um, it was hideous. Um, but gradually these things got put right. We opened up all the, the great Victorian character which had been hidden away behind panels. Eventually we got down into the damp, dingy cellar and made that a habitable room. But it all took time. And it's like that with Jesus sometimes. When we make that first commitment to give our lives to Jesus, he comes in whatever the state of our lives, in whatever mess they, they are in, and often they are in a real mess. And he starts the work of cleaning it up. And that is what Paul is getting at here. He's saying, yes, I know Jesus is Lord of your life, but in order for him to be Lord over every aspect of it, I am praying that he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit. I'm praying that your life will more and more reflect his character. We won't turn to it now, but if you want to understand further what it needs, what needs to be cleared up, what it looks like as we do grow as a Christian, Colossians 3 is a good place to turn to where it says there, it says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Section of morality, impurity, lust, etc., etc. It says, rid yourselves of such things as these, anger, rage, malice. There's that putting, getting rid of those, putting those to death. And then it says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. He's saying, out with the old and in with the new. And it's in the inner being that that takes place. Make your inner beings places that are fit for Christ to take up his permanent residence. I wonder sometimes whether one of the reasons why people are, are slow to become Christians, to commit their lives to Jesus Christ, is that 
although they can see that the gospel makes sense, although they can see that it is good news, that they need forgiveness themselves, they also realise that that does demand a real commitment. A commitment that will involve submitting everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe there are still aspects of their lives that they're just not quite ready to turn over to him. It's a work of God's grace, it's a work of God's power that brings someone to faith. But it's also a work of God's power that transforms them into the people he wants them to be. And that is why Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus in this way. He knows just how much they need that power of God in their lives. Ephesians, like us today, need the power of the Spirit in their inner being. What other power do they need? Or what else does Paul pray for? Verse 17 continues, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's clear, as he said, that Paul is writing here to a a group of believers, those who already know Christ's love. He acknowledges that they are rooted, they are established in love. His roots, these foundations are essential to who they are. And these are two images that get at the same thing. The first, the root, conveys the image of a plant which depends on the strength of its roots to grow and to, to thrive. If the roots are strong, then it can be battered, but it can remain intact and it can grow. I don't know whether you remember the storm of 1987. I remember waking up that morning oblivious to everything that had gone on during the night. Um, I actually woke up feeling quite sick and uh, phoned in the office to say that I was uh, staying in bed for the day, only for the uh, receptionist to say that actually there were quite a few people doing the same thing, um, because they couldn't get into work, everything was down. Great trees had been uprooted and were laid out across roads, preventing people from getting out of their roads. And they were laid across railway tracks, blocking trains. But despite the widespread damage that had been caused throughout the country, the roots of most trees were strong enough to withstand the battering that they got that night. And that applies to our Christian faith. If our, our roots, or the other image used here, our foundations, are in the love of Jesus, if we trust in his love that caused him to die for us, then we have the stability that allows us to grow and to flourish. We can't grow without those roots, but it's also not enough, not enough simply to to put roots down and then stop, and then stop growing. The reason Paul is praying for the Ephesians here to have power is because he wants them to grow. He's saying they don't fully appreciate the love of Christ. The roots are shallow. They need to grow down further and spread so the plant can grow upwards. And in order to do that, they need the power to know the love of Jesus Christ. We think of the Ten Commandments. We think of Jesus' summary of those commandments. To love God 
with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, and to love our neighbours as ourselves. It's interesting here that Paul doesn't simply pray that the Ephesians would love God more, that they would love others more. After all, that is the ultimate aim, surely, but he prays, instead of praying that, he prays that they would understand Christ's love for them more. And the reason he does is that the, the only way in which we will be motivated to love God more and to love others more, without it becoming some sort of ritual or some sort of way of we thinking that we are earning God's love for us, is by understanding his love for us. And when we look at his love for us, there is so much that is lovable about it. As we've read the Easter story over this, uh, this last week again, hopefully we'll have been struck once more by that incredible sacrifice for us. When we just read of the way Jesus describes himself as the, the good shepherd who cares for his sheep. The way, the truth and the life, the way to the Father. As he describes himself as the resurrection and the life. When we read of the way in which Jesus serves his disciples by washing their feet, the, the way in which he restores Peter after he has denied him three times. The, the love, the understanding that he shows to Thomas after he doubts that he's truly come back to life. In all this, he's lovable. He shows his love. And that love is, is, is too wide, long, high and deep for us to fully grasp. It surpasses knowledge. But as we grow in our knowledge of it, so hopefully will our lives be characterised by love for others. And so too will our roots deepen. How do we do that then? Well, by praying. Paul was praying that the believers in Ephesus would know the love of Christ. And we too need to pray, not only for ourselves, but everyone we know, our brothers and sisters here in this church, that we would all grasp that love of Jesus Christ. That God in his mercy, by his spirit, would open our eyes to grasp it. And it's not an intellectual understanding here we're talking about. It's not a question of how many stories about Jesus can I remember and relate and impress you with. It's the impact that those stories of Jesus have on our lives. It's how much listening to those stories makes us change in ourselves, in our inner beings, in our dependence on Jesus. Because if we carry on depending on ourselves, living our lives with Jesus, just playing a bit of a, a bit part, Jesus on the sidelines. If we never really allow him into our lives, we will never really love him. But if we call on him more, if we go to him more for help, if we see him come to our needs, then we will be filled with a greater love for him. The thing is, we often know Christ's love more in tough times than we do when things are going well. And so, praying for the power to know his love is actually not as straightforward as it sounds. Because it's saying that I consider knowing Christ's love more important 
that all my physical well-being, that all my comforts in this life, and that is a tough thing to pray for, isn't it? I want to know you more, Christ, but not I want to know you more, Christ, as long as it doesn't affect me in, in, in my life, in my physical life, but I want to know you more, whatever it may take. Are you prepared to pray that? Now, it's interesting that Paul adds here, together with all the saints, and it's difficult to, to fully grasp the love of Christ, express that love to others, if you're not doing it within the family of God. Because to see Christ showing his love, is to see that power at work in others, in others for whom you are praying. As they grasp Christ's love, as they grow in their faith, That will help you grasp Christ's love and grow in your faith. There's a mutual dependency going on here. And this comes out in uh, chapter 4 where Paul exhorts the Ephesians to live a life worthy of the calling they have received. In other words, by showing love to to one another. It's a love that's uh, expressed there in verse 2 of chapter 4 as being completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another keeping the unity of the Spirit. And so the consequence of being filled with power in the inner being, of having Christ dwell in you fully, the consequence of knowing Christ's love is in the words of verse 19, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That you'll be filled with the fullness of God that you will become mature, that you will become like him, which is surely what we are all hoping to become. Well, if I were to sum up the the, the application coming out of this passage, how how would I do that? In many ways, it's very simple. And it's it's there in, in verses 20 and 21. God has the power, and we need to ask for it. God has the power... But we need to ask for it. In verse 20, with, you know, these are verses with which we often finish our services. Uh, and they are a testimony of a belief in the power of God and our dependency on it. It starts, to him who is able. In other words, to him who has the power. And the amazing thing about these words is that God has the power to do immeasurably more, abundantly more than all we can ask, all we can imagine. And the obvious question is, if he has all that power, if he can do all those things, then why don't we ask him? Are we limiting God's action because of our lack of faith? You may meet someone whose life to you appears so messed up, that you may think there's no way that Christ can ever come into his or her life and dwell within it. You may meet someone who is so sceptical about the Christian faith, so damning of what you believe, that you think they may never change their views. They are impossible to, to convert. You may meet someone who has such a serious illness that you may think they have no possibility of recovery. You may have thought there was no way that the holiday club this year would attract as many children as it did last year, being at Easter when everybody was away, being at a different time. You may see the building proposals next week and think 
There is no way that we can raise that sort of money. To pray big prayers is to believe that God can answer them. But to pray big prayers is also to make big promises to God. God will answer our big prayers, if that is his will, but only if he thinks we really want them answered and we are prepared to do our bit to ensure that they are answered. Because it may mean going through tough times. As I said earlier, if we want to know Christ better, we need to ask God and he will give us that power. But it may not be a pleasant journey. Are we prepared to go through those tough times in order to know him better? It's like setting off on a, on a small six-seater plane, as we did once, to travel to a lovely tropical island and seeing right in front of you this thick wall of black storm clouds. Do you plough on knowing what awaits you when you get through that other, the other side? Or does the thought of that terrifying flight make you turn around and say to yourself, actually, I'm okay as I am. I think I'll just turn around and go home again. I don't really want to know Christ better if it means going through that. God has the power if we're prepared to ask him for it. But we also need finally to remember that it's for God's glory that we ask. Assuming that we really do want to know Christ better and we are prepared to ask God for that power, we can still fall down if we forget why we're doing this. We can still pray that we'd become more Christ-like and yet still have a wrong motive. Because it's very easy, isn't it, when we clothe ourselves with those virtues that we mentioned earlier on from Colossians, such as humility, such as compassion, to slip into the mindset that actually it was me who clothed myself with those things. Maybe as people notice things in you, as you begin to change and grow more like Christ and they compliment on you, maybe you start to become a bit puffed up. We like the, the adulation. It makes us feel good. And that's why the reminder comes at the end of this passage that the glory goes to the one who has the power. The one who has the power to do more than all we can ask or imagine. The one who gives us the power in our inner beings. The one who gives us the power to know the love of Christ as it finishes to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.